Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting the website johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. We've got terrific guest for today's show, including Pastor Rick Stevens. Pastor Stevens is the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We'll be talking about education, public education in Florida. Michael Cannon is a, a, a director of health studies at the Cato Institute, and we'll be talking about healthcare workforce reform that's been highlighted by uh, the COVID-19 situation. We'll also visit with uh, Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government, and former mayor of Ma- uh, Naples, Mayor Bill Barnett, will be joining us as well. It is August the 20th, and on this day in 1619, 20 and odd Angolans kidnapped by the Portuguese arrived in British colony of Virginia, and they're brought in, brought in by English colonists. The arrival of the enslaved Africans in the New World marked the beginning of two and a half centuries of slavery in North America. Founded at Jamestown in 1607, the Virginia colony was home to about 700 people in 1619. The first enslaved Africans to arrive there disembarked at Point Comfort, which is known today as Hampton Roads. Most of their names, as well as their exact number, who remained at Point Comfort have been lost to history. Much, much is known about their journey. They were originally kidnapped by Portuguese colonial forces who sent captured members of the native Congo kingdoms on to forced uh, march to the port of uh, Luanda, the capital of modern-day Angola. From there, they were ordered to on a ship, the San Juan Bautista, which set sail for Veracruz in the colony of New Spain. As was quite common, about 150 of the 350 captives aboard the ship died during the crossing. Then, as it approached the destination, the ship was attacked by two privateer ships, the White Lion and Treasure. Crews from the two ships stole up to 60 of the Bautista's slaves. It was the White Lion that docked at Virginia's colony Point comfort and traded some of the prisoners for food on August the 20th, 1619. Scholars note that the, the arrivals was technically uh, the arrivals were uh, technically sold as indentured servants. Indentured servants agreed or in many cases were forced to work with no pay for a set amount of time, often to pay off a debt that could illegally be expected to come become free at the end of uh, the contract. I believe Benjamin Franklin was an indentured servant to his brother. So it was a quite common practice. Many Europeans who arrived in America came as indentured servants despite this classification and records which indicate that some of them did eventually obtain their freedom. The arrival at Point Comfort marked a new chapter in the history of the transatlantic slave trade, which began in the early 1500s and continued into the mid-1800s. The trade uprooted more than 12 million African, depositing roughly 5 million in Brazil, over 3 million in the Caribbean, though the number of Africans brought to the mainland North America was relatively small, about 400,000, their labor and that of their uh, descendants was crucial to the economies of the British colonies and later to the United States. Two of the Africans who arrived aboard the White Lion, Antonian and Isabella, came servants of the Captain uh, William Tucker, commander of Point Comfort. Their son William is also known was the first known African child to have been born an American, and under the law of the time, he was born as a free man. In the coming decades, however, slavery became codified. Servants of African origin uh, origin were oftentimes forced to continue working after the end of their contract, and in 1640, the Virginia court sentenced rebellious servant John Punch to a lifetime of slavery, with fewer than white indentured servants arriving from England. A racial caste system developed, and African servants were increasingly held for life. In 1662, a Virginia court ruled that children born to enslaved mothers were the property of the mother's owner. As cash crops like tobacco, cotton, and sugar became pillars of the colonial economy, slavery became its engine, though the slave trade was outlawed, that's right, outlawed in 1807, chattel slavery and the plantation economy it made possible flourished in the South. 
1860 census found that there were 3,953,000 enslaved people in the United States, making it up roughly 13% of the total population. The conflict between the abolitionists and those who wanted to preserve and spread slavery was a major catalyst in the outbreak, of course, of the Civil War. President Abraham Lincoln formally freed enslaved people in the South with the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, and although it was not until the passage of the 13th Amendment in 1865 that slavery was totally abolished in the United States. So that's the story of uh, slavery. It's an interesting story, but the 1619 Project is an ongoing project developed by the New York Times Magazine in 2019 with the goal of reframing American history around slavery and the contributions of African Americans. The project was timed for the 400th anniversary of the arrival of the first enslaved Africans in Virginia Colony and suggests that the date represented the birth of the year, the nation's birth, Historians Gordon Wood, James McPherson, and Sean Wilentz, Victoria uh, Bynum, and James Oakes expressed strong reservations about the project and requested factual corrections, accusing the project of putting ideology before historical understanding. Instead of celebrating our great history toward freedom for all, the 1619 Project, along with White Fragility, have gained real traction in public schools promoting slavery as America's original sin and the loathing of whiteness and, of course, all this identity project. We, uh, uh, we need to identity uh, politics. We need to wake up to the fact that this is happening in our public schools and get back to classical education. Well, as of yesterday, we had one additional death and just 39 new cases of COVID-19 in Collier County. The number of new cases is dropping like a rock. As of uh, the 16th of the seven-day moving average of new cases has dropped to 67. And that would be a, a new cases per day from 67 to high of, uh, from a high of 220. We've more than flattened the curve in Collier County, and now we have to flatten the curve on the pandemic of fear. Fear, like the virus, is very contagious. As you can see, if all around you, fear has been institutionalized to reframe how we see our world. It's uh, really, I, I, I'm very concerned about this because we're really overreacting. We need to take the, the uh, virus seriously. But uh, right now, it's uh, out of control. We're considering closing schools, all kinds of things going on that would make uh, very foolish decisions based on fear. I encourage you to go to floridasafesurvey.com, floridasafesurvey.com. The governor came out with a new a survey that you could actually assess your own risk for death and getting uh, the contagious disease based on your own behavior. Pretty interesting, floridasafesurvey.com. Well, in a tight race, Byron Donalds won the Republican nomination for U.S. District 19 Congressional District, while Democrats decisively chose Cindy Banyai to run for the seat. The outcome will pit a progressive Democrat, I guess a conservative Republican widely expected to win the deep red region, where Republicans outnumbered Democrats by 100,000. We're basically a one-party state, so the real competition is the primary. Whoever wins the primary is probably going to win, said FGCU political science professor Peter Bergeron. Banyai has a steep hill to climb. As you know, if you've been listening to the show, I support Byron Donalds. And no matter what great qualities or policy positions Cindy has... We don't need another minion in the Pelosi caucus, quite frankly. So uh, I hope Cindy's a wonderful person, but Byron is certainly so qualified and will be a great champion of liberty and freedom as our, our congressman. So yesterday, Kamala Harris accepted the Democrat nomination for vice president at the DNC, officially making her the first black woman, first person of Indian descent on a major party's ticket. She was introduced by her sister, niece, and stepdaughter and said she would uh, stood on the shoulders of black women, including civil rights and political leaders. She didn't say that she stood on the shoulders of her grandfather, who was a slave owner. But nevertheless, uh, she also paid tribute to her mom, an Indian immigrant, who taught her about service to others and talked about her background as a prosecutor and how she and Joe Biden would fight racial injustice and the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Also on the virtual stage, former President Barack Obama talked about his friend Joe, that of course being Joe Biden, and wasn't too complimentary about his successor, President Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton pushed early voting, and Senator Elizabeth Warren said she liked Biden's plans. Tonight it's all about Joe Biden as he accepts the nomination for president from the Democrat Party. Chris Wallace said this about the Harris's speech last night. I thought there was a magic moment in Harris's uh, speech when she said, I accept your nomination for Vice President of the United States of America, uh, but uh, added that the historic nature of Harris's officially becoming the first black woman to join the major party ticket was worth celebrating. Having said that, tonight reminded me of nothing so much as Kamala Harris' whole campaign for president. It started out with this huge rally in Oakland, 20,000 people cheering, and she flamed out and was out of the race by the end of 2019 before the first votes in Iowa, he said. I thought there was a lot of Democrat boilerplate, uh, both in the attack on Donald Trump and the praise that Joe Biden uh, Wallace went on. Summing up the tenor of the convention's penultimate night, uh, the senior political advisor, Britt Humes, suggested that the Democrats were very worried about the voter turnout uh, coming up in November. Uh, there's a the listenership or viewership of this thing is down about 48 percent in the first two days. Be interesting to find out what it is on the third day. But nevertheless, uh, and in difficult circumstances, no doubt, with the digital approach to this because of the pandemic of fear that we referenced earlier. But irrespective, there's not a lot of interest in this ticket uh, based on viewership at any event. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Pastor Rick Stevens, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Gulf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Gulf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pinup Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers, and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Well, 
Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. We're just hopeful that the season is going to get off and this pandemic will cease, and it's a great theater. You can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon from the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us Pastor Rick Stevens. Pastor Stevens is a co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Pastor Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, indeed. Tell us about the Florida Citizens Alliance. Well, the Florida Citizens Alliance is people all across Florida that are care about their kids, that are just going about their lives, but deeply concerned that their children get a good education. And we try to give voice to their concerns and to try to provide resources and direction and guidance so they can make the best choices for their children, because we really believe the education system needs attention. And it really comes down to the parents, and we want to help the parents make those good choices. And everybody that cares about kids, make those good choices. Absolutely great organization. Again, goflca.org, goflca.com, or org is the website, I believe. Isn't that pa- uh, correct, Pastor Rick? That's right. Re- Pastor Rick. Yes. So uh, we talked earlier about this is the 401st anniversary of uh, slaves arriving in uh, what is now uh, in, in Virginia. And uh, so there's a, this project, 1619 Project, which was promoted by the, uh, I think it was the New York Times Magazine uh, back in 2019, uh, celebrating the 400th year anniversary. Well, this has kind of developed into uh, uh, changing American history, changing the narrative about American history and our pride and who we are, along with white fragility. Just wondering, in your research, of you, has this turned up at all in the Cuyahoga County or Florida schools? Well, we have begun to look into it because people started asking us what's going on and what's happening. And at at this point, we haven't found it very pervasive in schools across Florida. We have trouble getting information about that because sometimes the school districts don't respond. Sometimes they're not aware of it because it's relatively new. Sometimes they're saying, no, it's not specifically in our school, but there are elements that have been introduced from it. Mm -hmm. They'll take ideas and include them. So we are on. We are taking paying attention to it. We have talked to the Department of Education about it. Hmm. We would really appreciate it if if anybody across Florida hears about it in the schools. If they would let us know, often that's how we hear about it because school districts don't often want to be exposed with what they're doing. But parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, when you hear about it in your ch- child's classroom, let us know so we can look into it further and bring correction because yeah. it's definitely a serious serious concern. Well, thank you, Pastor Rick. And again, goflca.com is the website. It's a terrific website, so informative. And by the way, had a terrific event on July the 31st and August 1st. That's Those sessions now are on the website, if I'm not mistaken, so I encourage our listeners to go there and see, uh, see what's going on. Uh, the elections uh, on the 18th, some important outcomes. What are your thoughts? Oh, boy, with it. It was a big deal, wasn't it? It really and, was. Uh, there's a lot to think about with that election. Um, I, I, I guess I share whatever everybody shares with the, the terrible impact of the negative campaigning. Uh, I was really encouraged last night when I was talking to some friends of mine and how quick they were to say it was all lies, and we, we've got to not believe that stuff. But, you know, now it's time to kind of put the, the uh, election in the rearview mirror. It's important that we voted. I really applaud everybody out there that voted because voting in the primary makes so much difference. But now we need to go forward, and, and a lot of people are talking about Byron Donalds winning the, the, the Republican nomination. And uh, I congratulate Byron. Uh, I've, I've told people consistently Byron has enormous capabilities, and uh, we should be supporting him now. We should be behind him. Because I believe Byron has a, a strategic opportunity to make a difference, not just in Southwest Florida, and and I believe he will remember this is home, and he won't forget about us. Mm-hmm. But he has opportunities now, in, in a different way, to to influence the conversation and influence people's thoughts. And what we need to do is we need to get behind Byron and help him become the statesman we all think he's capable of becoming. You know, we get really disillusioned about politicians okay i get that we all get that Mm -hmm. but i'm convinced that byron could be a statesman and we need to help him become the statesman that statesman that many of us believe he's capable of becoming 
I think that's so well said. It, he is. Uh, he has the. I ex have the expectation that he's going to be the one that is sought out by Fox News and CNN and others to, you know, describe and to comment on what's happening in Washington D.C. and around the world because he's extremely knowledgeable, extremely uh, articulate about his points of view, and I think he's going to make a great impact in Washington D.C. and for us here on the south on the uh, Paradise Coast. I think that's exactly right, and and one of the things that that I noticed, and and Byron is really good at this. He was attacked viciously in this campaign, and it, and it really made me mad. I I don't guess I care which candidate gets attacked like that. It makes me mad because it's just not the right way to do it. Right. But here's what I saw from Byron. Byron could answer some of these things that were said about him that were just so reprehensible, and he did it forth forthrightly. He was straightforward about it. And he did it with a gracious manner that didn't bite back in the same way he was attacked. And uh, I think people need to notice that. That speaks very well of him. That's the kind of thing that tells me he's got enormous capabilities and he can be the statesman that we're all looking for and hoping for from him. Absolutely. Well said, uh, Pastor Rick. So uh, right now you're in the midst of a big campaign. We are. We um, launched it earlier this week. Uh, everybody knows that... Uh, it, well, it's just expensive to do things, yeah. and while we do things enormously efficiently, uh, we those of us in the top decision-making parts of our organization, top management, we don't take a salary. We give our time and, <clears throat> pardon me, our energy, but it still costs a lot of money to accomplish good things. And so we've launched the, the Liberty Challenge that will help us fund our organization going forward, and we'd really appreciate it. People would go to that website you mentioned, goflca.com, take a look at what we do. And every little bit helps, and we really do need people's help because, uh, like I said to my church on Sunday, I said, uh, do you know how much it takes to do $100 worth of ministry? And they kind of smiled at me, and I said, yeah, you're right, $100. Well, that's what it takes for Florida Citizens Alliance, too. Yeah. If we're going to do $100 worth of good, it takes $100, so... We really appreciate people's help. So I'd just like to comment on this, and, and uh, the fact of the matter is that the Florida Citizens Alliance, through you and Keith Flaw, have had enormous impact in Tallahassee on policy and education going forward. You have the ear of the governor. You have the ear of the uh, the commissioner of education. Uh, you people respect you up there the uh, various uh, statesmen and congressmen and uh, state senators so uh, you you're doing important work and most importantly you stand for what's important good quality education without all the uh, contamination of pornography and the other things that are happening right, right now in the Cuyahoga County or, or I should say Florida schools so I just encourage our listeners to be supportive of the Florida Citizens Alliance. No matter how little you give, it's going to make a big difference. A lot of, a lot of folks contributing can make a big, big difference, Pastor Rick. That's, that's exactly right. And um, people sometimes think their, their contribution doesn't amount to much. I can assure them it amounts to a lot, and we are very careful with, with what they give to us, and we, we give our pledge that we're going to work very carefully with the, what they trust us with, and we're going to work to bring results to the table for that. We're not just trying to keep going. We're trying to get stuff done. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, we appreciate what people do for us. GoFLCA.com. GoFLCA.com. Pastor Rick, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. You have a great day. You as well. Thank you, Pastor Rick. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere then 
includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence, French restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I want to do a little shout-out to uh, Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree Shopping Center. They do a great job. They're going through some construction right now there. And it, uh, uh, I would just encourage you to enjoy a great breakfast or lunch at Lulabee's Diner at the Green Tree uh, Shopping Center. Coming up, we're going to be visit- visiting with Seton Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. Right now, we have with us Michael Cannon, and as I mentioned, he's the director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, Bob. Thank you, Michael. Tell us about the Cato Institute. So the Cato Institute is a libertarian think tank in Washington, D.C. We've been around since 1977. Uh, and we, uh, our mission is to expand human liberty in all areas. So we argue for uh, individual liberty, free markets, a limited government, and peace. Great organization and great, uh, again, libertarian, uh, meaning, hey, <laughs> yeah, we, we need laws, but we need the government to stay out of our pocketbook and out of our lives as much as possible. So um, you're really at the forefront of this because nothing's been more socialized than, than our health care system. And uh, you wrote a really great piece, a healthcare work for, workforce reform, COVID-19 spots, need, spotlights, a need for changes in clinician licensing. Maybe you could tell us about it. So every state says that if you want to practice medicine as a physician, if you want to be a nurse practitioner or a registered nurse, you need to get a license from the state first. And the state decides what kind of categories of clinicians we can have, whether you can have a dental therapist uh, category in your state, which is something in between a dental hygienist and a dentist, or not. Mm-hmm. Then uh, you have to meet all these criteria that the state imposes on all of these um, these uh, these uh, professions in order to obtain a license. And what and the purpose of uh, these laws is to uh, stated purpose anyway is to improve the quality of medical care and dental care that people receive. But there's a problem, which is that these laws end up being captured by the industries that uh, that they regulate and those are the professions that they regulate and those professions use them to block entry into their professions to block competition from other professions that offer similar services and what ends up happening is instead of improving the quality of of care what uh, these laws do is they reduce the quality of care in a number of ways uh, most obviously by increasing the price of uh, health care, prices for healthcare services so that fewer people can afford them and they end up getting fewer or no health care. Yeah, so it, makes, uh, it, makes it, less, it makes it less accessible, doesn't it? Because it really says, uh, I mean, uh, we've seen some great uh, regulation reform here in Florida. I'm very pleased about it. But there's such a long way to go. 
And can you just mention to us how COVID-19 has highlighted this opportunity for uh, regulatory reform? So one of the first things that happened when we started getting COVID-19 outbreaks in the United States is as governors uh, and other state officials realized that uh, outbreaks, you know, waves of this disease might overwhelm their hospitals and overwhelm uh, their healthcare sectors, governors began suspending these regulations that, uh, that say that if you uh, are licensed by another state, you, you can't, uh, say you're a doctor licensed in California or Vermont or Virginia, you can't come into Florida and practice medicine a Florida license. Mm -hmm. This is really sort of silly because all states have the same requirements for becoming a physician. Mm -hmm. But what, uh, so what the governor of New York, for example, did before the big outbreak there was he said, look, if you are licensed by another state, we're going to suspend that restriction. You can come into New York to treat COVID-19 patients. You can um, uh, treat New Yorkers via telemedicine, which means that you don't have to leave home. You just get on the internet and you can connect with patients in New York and treat them that way, which is normally illegal if you don't have a New York license. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, states also expanded what we call the scopes of practice of mid-level clinicians like nurse practitioners mm -hmm. to say that uh, look this is this is a crisis you we normally require you to uh, uh, partner with a physician in order to practice and prohibit you from practicing independently we're going to suspend that we're going to allow you to prescribe more than we usually do and what all these suspensions of all these laws did what they revealed is and what they forced and what COVID-19 forced uh, governors to admit is that these licensing laws block access to care. Mm -hmm. They prevent people from getting care that they need, and uh, and now there's no way that, that that governors, state officials can go back to pretending that these laws just promote quality. They actually restrict access, and that's why, uh, and they really highlight the need for sweeping reforms of clinician licensing laws at, at the state level. You know what, and Michael, this is a, this is an old song right now because you, you could take a look at almost any profession or any business, uh, whether it be interior designers or whatever it might be, the same situation uh, applies. But it's really critical in the healthcare system because we do need access, and we need it, of course, at the lowest possible price, and can, we need it at, at convenience. So the things that you're recommending now and talking about, I think it's that's just not during the COVID crisis situation it's it's uh even when people are healthy they should have this access yeah so covid19 is a public health crisis mm -hmm. but people have private health crises all the time mm -hmm. so why would we uh reform these laws to expand access to care only when there's a public health crisis but not when people are having private health crises we really need to be uh making permanent the changes that states have made uh, during this crisis and expanding those changes so that uh, so that uh, we can expand access to care for people who are low income. We can expand access to care for people who have lost their jobs for reasons other than COVID-19 and so on. Right. So can you put a price tag or is any kind of uh, thoughts about what this is all costing us in our health care system because of the lack of access and because of the licensing requirements? Well, it's costing us quite a bit. You know, it costs people more money every time they go to the physician's office to get a routine care that could have been delivered to them by a nurse practitioner who's practicing independently. Uh, it costs us more money because it increases, or it costs us money in, uh, in higher taxes because it uh, not only does uh, the Medicare program and the Medicaid program have to pay more, higher prices yeah. for their enrollees to get care, but these licensing laws make those programs seem more necessary than they actually are. Yeah. They in, these licensing laws increase the demand for some sort of subsidy to help people afford these artificially or government-inflated prices. 
you know, Michael, this is such important information because this, this at, at the root of this whole discussion is our access, quality of care, and cost. And all these are really critical issues. I'm, I'm going to re just reference your paper. You can go to cato.org, C-A-T-O.org, uh, to and just do a search on Michael Cannon. You can actually just Google this up because Michael's well-known in, uh, in, in this area. And uh, you'll find his paper if you're looking at it further. But, Michael, I just genuinely appreciate the information here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy to do it, Bob. All Thanks. right. My pleasure, indeed. Again, Michael Cannon, uh, Director of Healthcare Studies at the Cato Institute. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog 2 Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Right now, we have with us Seton Motley. Seton is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, sir. You're not asking you to define and tell us about your mission and what you do, but it, the the title of the organization pretty much tells the whole story. Yeah, I, well, I thought of it very briefly. I thought of the name, the the uh, logo, and the which is a shrinking DC capital. You know, the the, yeah. the dome is shrinking, and you. It, it, I had a, I got a good graphic artist who who. Accurately represented. It's a good job. Anyway, and the fundraising slogan, uh, which is the more you send us, the less you'll have to send them. Well, I like um, it. <laughs> all in like five seconds in 2003. And um, yeah, so I didn't start using it until 2010, but yes, it's, it's, I wanted, I wanted it so when you wrote a, if you wrote a fundraising letter, you could just basically send the name, the logo, and the return envelope and raise money. That's right. Government? Okay. I actually talked to uh, another pundit uh, who runs an organization. He said, you know what, that seat, Motley, he got the best name for his organization. Was it Kerpin? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> yeah, Kerpin said, I want that name. I, I, I can't believe it. That's, that's the best name. I can't believe I had that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Thank for, you. yeah and, and believe it or not, in 2003, org was still available. Yeah, unbelievable. And I've owned it ever since. Yeah, I mean, and it's, Phil Kirpin, by the way, is the uh, president of American Commitment, so uh, right. another great organization. And a really, a really smart guy, and I like him a lot. Absolutely. And he's got about 55 children. Yeah, well, I'm just kidding. Yeah, he's, he's on the show uh, frequently as well. So, Seton, uh, you wrote this piece about it's always amusing to watch 
watch criminals attempt to defend their criminality. Great story. Maybe you can tell us about it. Well, yeah, you know, I, I thought at first because you know that was that was one of the amusing things about watching cops was all the goofy things these dullards say to them when they get arrested. Now, of course, we've pulled cops off the air after 40 years because of the stupid, racist, Marxist, Black Lives Matter movement. But that was one of the amusing things, all these goofy things these people say. And I looked up some, and it was like, I'm not drunk, but the horse is. That (laughs) that was one of them. Um, Because this person stole a horse and then rode into town and, and drunk. So he, the horse was all over the road. The guy said, I'm not drunk, the horse is. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just all these really crazy, funny things. Um, we weren't, we didn't think we were stealing because we were told everything is free. Um, and I, I thought of, I saw that one and I thought of intellectual property, which is people just pretend that things that cost money don't cost money. They're free. Hey, they're, hey, everybody gets them. They're free. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of Google's argument. Google stole eleven thousand five hundred lines of code from uh, Oracle in their Java. You may have seen Java on your computer. It's a, they get a little square icon with a little yep. steaming cup of coffee, and it's an open platform. Um, but if you use it for commercial purposes after the fact, it's not open anymore. You got to negotiate for licenses, and. Of course, if you're if Google started out negotiating for licenses and then stopped and then released Android, which is what they used the code for anyway. And of course, Android has become the number one operating system on the planet. They've probably made a trillion dollars off it. But the argument they're making before the Supreme Court is if if you st- if you stop us from stealing, people will. St- uh, people will stop making things for us to steal. <laughs> yeah, it's pre- pretty compelling. Now, this case is the case is actually coming up at the Supreme Court in October. October seven, yes, October seven, and their argument is, you know, you're, you by by enforcing Java's Oracle's property rights, you're hurting innovation because it's it's a you know everything should be open and. If it's open, then anybody can use it to build new things and, and all that. Yeah. And of course, I, I you know I, I just thought of this angle, and I hadn't thought of this before. I always say that you know Charles Darwin's book is named after the one thing he he doesn't answer: the origin of species. He describes the development of species, yep. but he doesn't touch on their origin. Right. Well, likewise, yes, once something's created. If you use it, you can build new stuff. But if you let people steal it to build new stuff, no one will make new stuff anymore. The right. origin will stop. The origin of uh, IP will, will will go away because why go through all the time, effort, money of creating it if you then have it all stolen? Uh, why you have better things to do with your time and, and, and effort? And, 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 and so, Seton, I just this is such an important case because it's it's certainly there's ten billion dollars or whatever on the line with regard to the decision from the Supreme Court. But even yeah, want, I think they're asking for eight point eight billion. All yes. right, but even more important is the protection of patents and, and copyright laws so that the integrity, so that people will continue to invest time, effort, money into this is, this is right. This is a strike at the heart of the concept. Of intellectual property, right? Um, you know, uh, Oracle says you can have Java under two conditions: if you make what you use with it open too, right? Like if you create something that's open platform and everybody can use it, that's the, then you're paying it forward, right? Right. Well, Google obviously didn't do that. They copyrighted, and patented, and trademarked Android. And they've made a trillion dollars off it. So then the other requirement, if you don't keep it open, is to get licenses. And that's how intellectual property works. The property owner licenses permission to users to use the intellectual property. It's a, it's a huge licensing system. And that court case um, in the Ninth Circuit uh, last week that overthrew the Obama administration's patent uh, imposition on um, Oracle. Mm-hmm. One of the arguments that the Obama administration was trying to make was, 
their whole licensing system is wrong. So what the judge, the, the Obama judge that got overthrown, was basically trying to do was single-handedly rewrite the entire intellectual property licensing system herself, yeah. which is a little bit of an overreach for a federal judge. I would say and, so. But but you're right. It's the it's the uh, the respect of the property and the ability to license the property. That is how the entire intellectual property system is structured. Seems to me that the re- the key here is they were negotiating for a license and they, and they stopped and they, stopped and they just took it. <laughs> well, I was gonna say, it's very hard to deny the fact that you're, you 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 know you needed permission because you were asking for permission at one point. Right. Um, and of course, and of course, really stupidly, the other stupid argument they make is fair use, which in copyright law is basically telling you you can excerpt from someone's written word to make a commentary or advance a news story or report on an issue. All of it has to do with the written word. None of it has to do with computer code. That's exactly you can't, you can't say, as Java said, 1011101. Yeah. Uh, there's no... That fair use argument is simply stupid. Yeah. It's just very, very dumb. So how's this going to come out in the Supreme Court? You know, the, the, this thing is ping-ponged its way up the up the judicial food chain. Um, the last winner at a lower court was, thankfully, Oracle. Oracle said... Oracle won at the lower level, so it's up to the nine justices, uh, you know, depending upon Judge Roberts has for breakfast that morning, yeah. um, to look at this, and, and they're looking to uphold. You need, the, the argument is, allegedly, you need a compelling argument to um, overturn a previous judge's, which is, of course, thrown out the window in this thing because it keeps going back and forth. Yeah. But I don't know. I, you know, I, I think... Roberts has been good on IP, um, so I think at least five to four and maybe more, because occasionally some of these leftists come out on weir- weirdly on, on something, weirdly well on something. Yeah, it's so true. Again, Seat Motley, the founder and president of Less Government. You can visit lessgovernment.org, and you also follow Less Government on Facebook. Seaton, I always appreciate your well-informed commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much, sir. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. We're going to get his comments on what happened in the elections, including this ethics uh, uh, vote uh, for the city of Naples. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. I proudly serve on the board, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett. Mr. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Bob. Oh, pleasure on a Thursday morning, always. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. You've been doing this show now for over a decade, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's hard It's hard to imagine that, isn't it? It is indeed. A lot of water under the bridge over, <laughs> over this period yeah. of time. So I've been, yeah. look, I've been looking forward to our conversation, and, and this, uh, I, I'm not a Naples resident, so I didn't pay attention to the content of this, but surprisingly to me, this ethics thing passed uh, from the voters of Naples. I don't know anything about it. Can you tell us about it? Well, I, I, I can tell you that um, it was destined to, to pass, um, and uh, uh, the interesting part about it, without going into a million details, which should take us into the 9 o'clock hour, mm. um, basically the organizers of the um, people that, that, that wanted that ethics policy felt that Naples didn't have a strong enough, the city of Naples didn't have a strong enough ethics policy, and that they, and it took too long to resolve any ethics issues if there was a complaint. Well, I will tell you, Bob, there's one ethics complaint over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And if that warranted an ethics committee, uh, um, I'll be a monkey monkey's uncle. But I'll tell you, the, um, the interesting part will start now uh, because they have some things in there in that policy that are saying this is what we're going to do. You have no idea. They have, the city's going to have to hire an executive director. They're going to have to pay an undisclosed salary. There's a lot of loopholes, and I would be willing to say to you that that will be challenged. That that will be uh, that there there'll be lawsuits from some of the attorneys in the city um, saying, "Hey, this is just unconstitutional, and and uh, we got to strike it down." So they're asking for things in there that 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 just aren't possible to do, and they want some people that are appointed to to rule over the elected officials, which is really not a good thing. That's what you elect the elected officials for. Right. That's it, kind of, in a nutshell, it will be really interesting to see where it goes from here. So what, but what's behind this? It sounds to me like a power play. There's some people that don't like the way things are being handled by the city council, so they'd like to have be able to intervene uh, through this right. ethics thing. Absolutely, in a nutshell. It was the old Naples Association that started it. Um, there's a group of them there that uh, that pushed it all the way, and... and um, they stirred up a lot of people, um, giving false impressions that, you know, ethics needs better ethics. And, you know, you look at something like that, Bob, and, and everybody's for better ethics. I mean, you know, there's, there's right. no, nothing wrong with that if it's going to improve your city or your town or whatever, and it's, and it's legitimate. But, um, you know, this from the beginning was, was just, uh, just uh, was not a good idea. That's my opinion. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm interested to see uh, where it goes from here. Hey, Bob, maybe they'll even uh, put me on the board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, well, I'm not laughing. I think, believe me, you're extremely qualified. But, again, this just smells a little bit, and it, it surprised me that it passed uh, uh, by a vote of, I think, 64%, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So uh, it's just – and, again, back to your original point is there's been one ethic compl- ethics complaint in the last 30 years. So yeah. uh, it's very suspicious so, to me. It's got, yeah, I mean, it's got to tell you something. But um, you know what? That people get swayed, as you well know, um, uh, in, in, in different ways. And um, we will just see where this goes, and you and I can follow it along and, and have, a, have a good debate about it. All right. It. Well, I appreciate your commentary on this, which, by the way, I mean, a lot going on right now. We've got the uh, DNC, virtual DNC, uh, Democrat National Convention, going on in, in third night last night, and we've had some elections here locally. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, I follow it on the news, obviously, uh, like everybody does. And, um, you know, my, my, my thoughts are uh, that, look, um, the, the polls are one thing. I, I don't know how much faith you, you put in that, Bob. Mm-hmm. You're a much better uh, 
politician than I'd ever be when it comes to following uh, things like this. Um, I, I think it, I, I don't think it's going to be a runaway um, by by either candidate. I think that the the president um, needs to needs to um, focus in a little more. I think he's still got his support, um, and um, uh, but I don't think it's going to be any easy victory by any means. Hmm. That's just my. That's just my opinion. Well, you? Uh, well, you know, I, I think uh, the polls right now, the, apparently the CNN poll came out the other day that says the race is very close. Well, that was kind of a surprise and a wake-up call. Right now, I think the Democrats are quite concerned because uh, viewership of this uh, convention is down 48%. And the, right. ru- the running comments apparently are vote, make sure you get out and vote, we need your vote. They're concerned, I think, about the turnout because the lack of enthusiasm for the Biden-Harris ticket i think is is palpable and of course the enthusiasm did you see about this uh the regattas these boat to things that are the set of records (laughs) for this is not just in one place like sarasota it's all around the united states oh sure i i i've seen them all over like that and but you know talking about talking about uh lack of enthusiasm or a poor voter turnout Mm -hmm. look at the local look at look at what just happened uh, in in our area, I mean, I saw <clears throat> numbers like the city and and like the county of thirty six percent voter turnout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's I mean, it's apathetic. It is apathetic. <laughs> but yet, but yet the people just don't. I mean, they're not fired up like they like they used to be. I think that they're almost resigned to saying, yeah, well, we'll we'll vote or we won't vote or what have you, and that's. That to me is is sad. I've had quite a few people say to me, "Nah, you know, what's the sense? I'm not going to do it." Of course, we've been hearing that forever, but that's not the answer. No, it's certainly yeah. not. Well, of course, in fairness, this is a, a vote in August and uh, four primaries. Right, true. But uh, I think the presidential uh, race will garner a lot more interest and support. And uh, you know, just my opinion, I, I, I think the I think the Republicans are going to show up. Uh, the Democrats, I'm not so sure. Yeah, well, well, time will tell, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> are you watching the Are you watching the DNC thing at all? Uh, no, I'm. I am not uh, because I can see enough of it on the news the next day and the day after and the day after that. And right. uh, uh, so I guess uh, uh, Biden is going to give his acceptance <coughs> speech tonight or his 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 speech tonight. Right. Um, but and I'll find out what he says tomorrow. Yeah, well, I don't, I'm not watching. I'm not watching it either. <laughs> so, yeah, it's. Uh, I have no interest. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see the commentary afterwards. And apparently, the president was tweeting like crazy during these speeches. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know, he, he, he gets. He's been getting. He gets lots of information, and uh, he immediately <clears throat> starts starts tweeting about it so it keeps it interesting let's put it that way it certainly does I mean, while she was speaking he said didn't but didn't she call him a racist and then he also didn't she say he was incompetent <laughs> why did he refuse to endorse slow joe and he's talking about the president now when when it right. was all over even then it was very late so and he's doing this yeah it's i mean it's never a dull moment no no not indeed well listen i hope you're having a great summer um, I guess well, I, I can. Thank you. I guess I can disclose that you're uh, away right now up in, in the northern area. But uh, is it safe up there? Yeah. Is, how's how's the COVID thing going up there? Well, you know, Bob, all the controversy and everything that we've had in Naples about the masks, where I'm not wearing them, on whatever it is, you don't see. We're in Buffalo area, but we're, we're south of Buffalo, uh, about 45 minutes south of Buffalo. Um, you don't see or hear one. Word when you go into a store, people wear masks. Um, hmm. There's absolutely, or you're in a restaurant, people wear masks until you sit down. You can't be standing hmm. uh, without uh, having a mask on. And there is, it's absolutely taken for granted. I mean, there is no controversy whatsoever. It's you do it, and they do it here. So, you know, I, I see both sides. Yeah, I certainly do. too. Well, Bill, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary in the show. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here on another Thursday morning. Thanks so much again. Bob, for, hopefully you don't get rained out today. Hit them straight. I uh, certainly get it right. Thank you, uh, Mayor Bill. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to visit with William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute, Josh, Dr. Josh Umber.
has a new concept for pr- delivery uh, for primary care. We'll be visiting with him. Sharon Kenny is the author of Where Should We Eat? And Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be with us as well. I, by the way, I just appreciate uh, any comments that you can send me, bobharden at hotmail.com, if you'd like to receive the newsletter. Uh, we'd be happy to include you as well. Again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.